Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to describe, subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep the special service alive. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michael. Hi, my name is Michael, and I'm a compulsive overeater. It's funny. I, I come from a, a structured and disciplined group that you just kind of trained like a sort of like a robot. When somebody introduces you, you kind of shake their hand. So, thank you for shaking my hand, Sasha. And it's good to be here uh, this uh, this evening, uh, Martha. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be of service. Um, I uh, appreciate this a lot. Um, this is what keeps me sane and abstinent, um, doing service and showing up at meetings and calling my sponsor and committing my food on a daily basis and uh, doing all the things that we learn to do here. And uh, I didn't know how to do that when I came to you at first. Um, I thought I did. Um, I came to you uh, through the back doors of, uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was clean and sober for about a year. And I had this three-pack-a-day cigarette addiction, and I just didn't know how to stop. And I started bitching and complaining about it in AA, and the old-timers told me to stop bitching and complaining about my smoking addiction because uh, all they cared about was my drinking addiction. And I got offended. And uh, I didn't understand about the traditions, which, you know, we talk about food in this program because that's where we all identify. And uh, if this program gets diluted with other things, um, it's not healthy. Um, the Washingtonians, uh, what was it, a hundred or a couple hundred years ago with the, when AA that started this whole thing, um, people were sober more than any other time in the world, and uh, they started diluting the program, and the program dissipated and disappeared. So I don't want that to happen to Overeaters Anonymous, but I didn't understand that when I bitched about my cigarette addiction. And so um, I, um, some old-timer told me that there was a Smokers Anonymous at the time, and uh, I went there and bitched and complained about my smoking addiction. And after about six weeks, the three-pack-a-day addiction was lifted. And uh, the guy nominated me secretary and disappeared, and I started sharing my experience, strength, and hope with cigarettes. And uh, the only problem was is I put on 30 pounds in 30 days. And um, it wasn't the first time that I had eaten compulsively, but it was the first time that I was aware of it because I was clean and sober and smokeless and crazy. <laughs> and uh, so I went back to AA and I started bitching about the haagen and the, and the pizza and the eggnog shakes and the taquitos and all the other stuff. After a good meeting, I got real hungry. And, um, and the, the same old-timers told me, you know, that there was no place in hot and so But I knew about Overeaters Anonymous, and I came to you guys, and I sat and I listened, and I tried to get this thing myself. 
um, and um, and I couldn't do it, and I kept getting bigger and bigger. And after, and in retrospect, it must have been about a year. Uh, I raised my hand and I said, "My name is Michael, and I'm a compulsive eater, and uh, I need help. I don't know how to do this." And there was a guy that lost over a hundred pound pounds, Matt M. Um, and he uh, reached his hand out to me and he gave me his phone number and I called him the next day and he asked me what I was going to eat and I had no idea and I don't think I wanted to know what I was going to eat but he said well why don't you just go ahead and eat whatever you're going to eat and then call me the next morning and tell me what it was and I could kind of handle that and I don't remember what it was but I'm sure it was better (laughs) because I wanted to please him than, than I was normally eating and he got me in the habit of taking what I call, which I still do today, taking the fifth step with my food. Uh, the fifth step, those of you who are new, it says, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Well, I guess my wrong was my food <laughs> in the early days. And so I committed and admitted it to another human being. And that was very hard. That was very, very hard for me. Because not only did I not want to know, I wanted to lie about what I was eating. Because uh, it wasn't healthy. And, um, but I felt uh, confident and uh, trusting of Matt. And, uh, and I knew that he had lost 100 pounds. And he knew the big book. And he was very articulate. And uh, he, uh, he took me through the steps of this program. And, um, and uh, you know, the weight came off. And, um, and I got real comfortable. And I don't know about you, with comfort comes complacency. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got complacent. And uh, not only in this program, but in my my primary program. And I stopped going to meetings because it wasn't convenient. And I put other things ahead of the program. And uh, lo and behold, after about six or seven years with you guys, I was out. I was out the door. And uh, with me, it's pretty easy as far as my alcoholism is concerned. Because if I start popping pills or drinking... I lose my abstinence. They kind of go hand in hand. So I lost my sobriety. And, uh, and I heard Dr. Paul speak. I think it was in this very facility. I, I, happen, I came to a meeting and he said, never in my 20 some odd years of, of program have I had a problem to which the 12 steps didn't offer me a solution. And that was like a breath of fresh air to me. I was so far away from the 12 steps and from program, I, I didn't know which way to turn. And I was too afraid of uh, asking him for his phone number, but I asked his wife, Max, who was sitting in the front row, for his number. And I called him the next day. And it's real hard to be honest, even today, you know, um, with my sponsor, especially to tell on myself. It's, I, don't, I don't like to tell on myself. And um, so I told on myself. And uh, Paul very, again, like Matt did, he very gently uh, brought me back uh, to the 12 steps and I started working the program again. Um, I uh, never had a home group um, in any of my programs. And I told Paul I was thinking of joining a very structured and disciplined home group and he thought it would be a good idea. (laughs) And I went and I joined that program and I got uh, very structured and disciplined sponsor in that program who taught me that believes that you know you only have one sponsor because I have a tendency to run my ideas by many many people and the person who agrees with me I I will take their direction um, so uh, but this sponsor didn't cotton to that idea and he believed in one sponsor and I started to get antsy and I started to compulsively 
overeat again and I came to the sponsor and I said, you know, I, I was in OA and I, I think I need to go back. And he said, kid, try every diet that you can and if it doesn't work, you can go back to, to OA. And yeah, I didn't necessarily want to try every diet because I had done that before and I knew that OA worked. So I came back to you guys and... Um, and uh, and I had I knew I had to get a sponsor in this program, and I was afraid that my my other sponsor would would not go for that. And and I ran it by him again. Whenever I'm going through something that I'm afraid of, I it's hard for me to talk to my sponsor. And he said, "Go ahead, kid." <laughs> and I did. And uh, my first sponsor in this program, or second sponsor, if you want to call Matt my first sponsor was Richie and I just called Richie before this meeting Richie's living in North Carolina now and Richie talks like this he's got a New York accent and his voice is very much alive in my head still and uh, Richie um, listened to my fifth step and it took three days and not three consecutive days. We, I mean, we broke for meals, of course. We're compulsive overeaters. But, uh, you know, I had a long inventory. And he said, you know, it took my sponsor three days to hear mine. If, I, if he had to suffer, I'll suffer through yours. And, and at the end, we suffered. It was horrible because it was the same character defects, the same shit. With uh, with different people involved, and I, I, we were—I I don't know about him—but I was so glad that it was over when it was over, and uh, and uh, he suggested that I get down on my knees, you know, when I pray, and I told him that um, I was born into the Jewish, you know, religion, I guess, and he had heard my inventory, and he said, Michael, since when were you ever a practicing Jew? <laughs> And he was right. I mean, I never practiced my... He just, get down on your knees. And so, and so, you know, I get down on my knees now. And uh, it seems to get my higher power's attention. At the very least, it gets my attention. And uh, I would uh, commit cheese or something that I would be eating that day, David. And uh, he, would, he would say... Uh, he would uh, call my cheese eating. He'd say, oh, you're eating artery cloggers today. Artery cloggers? You're going to clog your arteries? And I thought, shit, you know, this guy is really like hardcore. And I don't know about you guys. I mean, if you commit your food to your sponsor and their food cleans up, they get real strict. You know, when they've got clean food, you know, you kind of have to follow follow orders. So, uh, but, um, so anyway, uh, I got in the habit of calling Richie and... Uh, and on weekends, he said, give me a reprieve, call somebody else. And um, so I was forced to call somebody else. I've, uh, you know, I've conned the teaching profession for 17 years now. Uh, uh, they, uh, the, the end of July, I will have been a teacher for 17 years with L.A. Unified. And, yay, L.A. Unified. But, no. No. L.A. Unified. Okay. Well, they've done good by me, Ellie Unified. So anyway, um, I, uh, I, you're, you're looking at a guy that never had a, a full-time job until he was 43 years old because uh, I don't like to work. Uh, even even in a job that I like, I don't like to work. I don't like to get out of bed, um, even on vacation. You know, I just I just don't like to get out of bed. And I have people who call me. Uh, I'm pretty blessed. Uh, very early in the morning, and uh, gotten in the habit of uh, reading uh, little meditation books uh, with each other and have like a little mini mini meeting. And I don't know if they know how uh, instrumental they are in getting me out of bed. And um, it's really kind of nice. And some days, you know, I, 
I've got a lot of time in this program, a lot of days at a time. Uh, my, my abstinence date is uh, July 20th, 1990. And uh, I still have to do very much today what I did in the beginning. And it's very easy to get complacent uh, the, the more that I'm here. And thank God for the structure and discipline that I learned in the foundation that when I have a commitment at a meeting, it gets me to a meeting. Even with 21 years, if I don't have a commitment and there's a Laker game, or there's always something that will take priority about me getting to a meeting. So thank God at my home group kitchen sink on Saturday mornings in West Hollywood, I have the cleanup commitment. And uh, so I feel a little bit uh, more connected to that group, and it gets me, gets me going. So I know I'm going all over the place. I'm just kind of enjoying my mind and tripping all um, But um, um, So Richie... Um, okay, so Richie leaves to North Carolina, and he marries somebody in the program, and uh, he goes cruising all over the world, and uh, and he retires. And I try to follow him and call him, and after about a month, he says, um, you know, Michael, you should have somebody local. You know, it's just more convenient that way. And I had to switch sponsors, and it was hard, because then you have to trust somebody all over again. And I ran a couple of people by him, and he said, yeah, that would make a good sponsor. And Terrell at the time was coming back from living out of state or something, and so we hooked up. And so uh, I, I, I F with Terrell Serenity uh, on a daily basis, and, uh, and so I'm glad that he's trudging a little bit ahead of me as well. I think um, the, 40, um, the 43-year-old uh, person who um, decided to get a teaching job... Um, um, was very scared and um, and was suggested to go and talk to a counselor. Uh, I was Cal State LA and I had uh, a student taught and, uh, and I stopped right in the middle of it. I got really afraid and I stopped for about 17 years to come and practice my disease. And, uh, and I went to my sponsor at the time and I said, I... I don't think I want to teach. I think I want to be an actor. Um, I considered myself an actor at the time. I had done a lot of college productions, and and I and I would never commit to a full time job where I was working because I had to be available for auditions. And so I would leave at noon, and I would go to the beach to work on my tan, uh, just in case an audition would ever come my way. <laughs> But I was never proactive. I was too scared. I was just too scared. And without program, it's just really, really scary enough with program. So, uh, so my wise sponsor said, well, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're an actor, a dentist, a lawyer. What matters is you go back and you complete something that has, you've left um, unfinished. Can you go back and talk to a counselor? And I could do that. So I went back and I talked to a counselor and he pulled up my files. And um, it turns out that all the classes that I had taken 17 years prior were applicable to the present time. And that I only had to take like one or two classes to get a teaching credential. And then I guess my sponsor said, well, can you just go and take one class? And I took a class. And lo and behold, in about, it seems like six months, maybe a year's time after taking a couple of night classes, I had my teaching credential. And I was student teaching again. And I had a couple of kids at the time. I was, I was married. And, um, and I, um, 
and I quit one of my part-time jobs to go full-time into getting a special ed credential. The class that I was student teaching in went and volunteered once a week to children who were orthopedically handicapped, uh, little kids in walkers and wheelchairs. And when I volunteered in this classroom, my heart melted, and I just fell in love with these kids. And the teacher saw that I had an affinity for relating to these kids, and she introduced me to a couple of people. And my first job interview, I was honest, and I said, you know... um, I don't, I've never taught before. I'm student teaching, and here's my resume. And I handed them a book of the classroom that I was student teaching of letters that they had written. Dear Mr. Blanc, we love you. You're the best teacher. And they colored and stuff like that. And I was just really, really honest and really relaxed. And they said, well, Michael, we have an OH class that's open. And uh, if you want the job, it's yours. But you have to go back to school and get your special ed credential. <laughs> And I ran to my sponsor and I said, you know what? I actually have a job and I really like these kids. And what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, looks like that might be uh, the right thing to do. So I went uh, back to school. It seemed like it took me years. I took one class at a time. I ended up with like a 3.8 average. It was, and I didn't cheat. <laughs> and, uh, and I got my special ed credential. And I ended up in this class teaching it for um, 11 years. And, um, and it was miraculous because the parents... Um, trusted me with their kids with like cerebral palsy and muscular dystrophy and all kinds of these diseases because I love the kids and I call Richie sometimes and I say you know they got this no child left behind and they're testing and they're testing and I can't and I don't know what to and he said Michael just shut up and love the kids just shut up and love the kids and that I could do that was really easy for me and that holds true for me today as well so I mentioned that I was in theater arts and I kind of you know I never went on auditions, but I, I, I'm a ham. I love, you know, theater arts. So what came in front of me is uh, the arts ed program with LAUSD had an opening for theater arts teachers. So I went and um, I sent somebody to my special ed class, and I and I taught regular. And the next day, uh, Robin calls and says, "If you want a job, it's yours." And after 11 years of teaching uh, special ed kids, I said goodbye, and I went to uh, teach theater arts in elementary school. So my job today is um, teaching uh, about 100 kids a day, five different classes at five different schools a week, and I teach about 500 kids theater arts. And I don't even know if they're learning anything about theater arts, but man, I got a lot of program stuff in there. And we have a lot of affirmation, we have a lot of communication, we have a lot of eyeball to eyeball, elbow to elbow, and the shy kids, I try to help them get a little less shy, and the extroverted kids, I try to help them to tone it down a little bit. And it's, I'm just having a ball. And, uh, and they gave me a letter of, uh, what is it, displacement letter uh, a few weeks ago and because they were going to shut down the arts ed department. They didn't have enough money for us. And, and I, it was really kind of sad. But they rescinded that, and next year they reopened the arts ed department, and I have a job for next year. So, um, my life continues to get better. Um, uh, my primary purpose, believe it or not, with all this good stuff, this extraneous stuff that happens between meetings, is to stay abstinent and to help the compulsive overeater who still suffers. 
And if I do that, all kinds of drama happens in my life, which turns out to be good in God's world. In my world, I get real scared because I've got a lot of responsibility. And I think I'm doing it again myself. And I come to you, and I listen to you, and I see the higher power at work in your lives. And I think if the higher power is working in your lives, it's got to be working in my life. And then I just kind of breathe and relax a little bit, and I get a, a little bit of serenity. Dr. Paul sent me a great version of the serenity prayer. Dr. Paul, God rest his soul, was available to all of us. We're very lucky in this program to have people that are very wise and have been doing this for a long, long time that keep their hearts and their numbers open to us. So anyway, this version is, God, grant me the serenity to calmly accept the things I cannot change. I don't know about you, but when I need the serenity prayer the most, I ain't calm. And asking God for calmness, at least intellectually, shuts my head off a little bit. Then the second part of the prayer is the courage to change the things I can. Dr. Paul said the the courage to change my attitude. Because when I'm not calm, my attitude, there's something wrong with my attitude and or my actions. So the courage to change my attitude or actions. And then the wisdom to enjoy the ride. Okay. So um, that's a part of the serenity prayer. That, that works for me. And I say it quite often. So I like to, uh, to share that. Um, my life um, today is... Um, I don't know if I talked enough about the weight um, and about the, how I use food to anesthetize myself. Um, when I was in college, um, I was a munchkin. My first play, and I must have been like 19 years old. And uh, and at my waist, I had like a 19 size. I was always a skinny kid. I ate crazy, but my metabolism was such as I was always a skinny kid. But I always felt uncomfortable in my body, no matter what weight I was. And I always felt, felt self-conscious and self-obsessed. And um, so I was a munchkin, and uh, during breaks in rehearsal, um, while people in the green room were fraternizing, uh, I found um, um, Foster Freeze. And Foster Freeze had the taquitos and eggnog shakes. And I loved my eggnog shakes and taquitos, and it was much more comforting than going into the green room and fraternizing with these people that I was scared to death of anyway. And, um, and so at the end of that... Um, I went from a 20, no, not a 19 waist. I was a 27 waist to a size 34 waist. So that's a substantial um, increase in waisthood. (laughs) And this was over the summer. And uh, I I weighed about maybe 170 pounds. And I came in weighing 120 pounds. So it's a good 50-pound weight loss. And I I remember that in inventory. So that was my my first um, conscious a memory of compulsively overeating and actually putting on weight behind it. Um, I put on weight in this program being abstinent. Um, I got in the habit of committing my food and eating what I said I was going to eat. But what I said I was going to eat uh, became uh, very incrementally less healthy. So that when I went to the In-N-Out Burger and eliminated the... Um, the buns, because I, I didn't have carbs, I didn't think about the double-doubles, the two or three that I was eating a day at a time, maybe five or six days a week. And when I went to the doctor, 
uh, and they told me that my cholesterol was 250 and that I had to do something about it, I got uh, a little upset and scared and into self-pity. And I shared about it with you guys, and I called Richie in North Carolina, and Richie said, uh, why don't you uh, change your diet and do more exercise? (laughs) And he turned me on to a structured program that... uh, that uh, is structured, that you actually weigh yourself and you eat more fruits and vegetables and you, uh, and you increase your exercise. And in my head, I got four to seven times a week, four to seven times a week. That's the amount uh, of exercise that I try to get in on a, week, on a weekly basis. And um, so I started doing this program and, um, and with OA to give me the power to carry it out. And, uh, and then I went to the doctor, and it went from 250 to 150. And I didn't have to take any medication behind that. And so my cholesterol is, uh, is good now. And my weight dropped. Duh, go figure. Um, however, i got to tell you that uh, last summer, I was 10 pounds less than I am this summer. So once again... Uh, Four to seven times a week, and uh, and I'm God bless you, and I'm um, and I'm uh, committing my food a little bit cleaner because I don't know. My doctor says I'm at a good weight, but you know our heads don't know what a good weight is, and I always want to you know lose weight no matter what weight I am. I'm kind of obsessed about that. So um, what else can I tell you about my life? My um, I'm. I'm looking at how much I want to manipulate and control others. Um, My wife uh, lost her job about four years ago. Uh, She was at this job for 34 years and she was displaced. And uh, she's been afraid for four years. And uh, she doesn't want to go back to work. And um, the stipend that they gave her is rapidly running out. And uh, I'm getting a little afraid, and she's not pursuing employment as quickly as I think she should be. And so I'm turning to program to, uh, to love her and to see what I can do to uh, further my employment. It turns out that uh, I'm right at the, almost at the top of my salary scale, and I can take some classes to increase my salary. And I've been doing that for the past year. And, and i got to take my focus off of her and, and leave it on me. Um, my daughter was diagnosed with Crohn's disease about a year ago, which is a pretty serious uh, stomach disease. She's an athlete. She's only 16 years old. And, um, and uh, we were going back and forth as to what medication she wants to take because I know what medita- medication I want her to take. And uh, to let go of that and to leave her make the dis- an educated decision is hard for me. Um, um, today she has three basketball games at UCLA uh, and uh, I had to leave in the middle of one basketball game because I just get real emotional during the games and you know when the team isn't doing it the way I think they should do it and they're not feeding her the ball enough and I just you know and, and then I went to the bank after between games and I parked in the parking lot and they validated my ticket and I came out and they said, you owe me $2. You know, when I put it in the machine and I go, I just got it validated and I'm screaming, what the fuck? And the lady says, what's wrong? And I said, well, I just got it validated. And she says, sir, did you have to leave right away? Did you dawdle a little bit? She didn't use the word dawdle. My sponsor used the words dawdle. But I, I'm a dawdler 
And, uh, you know, I, I took my time to get out of there. And she, uh, she said, well, you can go back in the bank and just get another sticker. And I didn't want to go back in the bank and get, I go, you mean I got to get back in? And I started screaming and yelling. And I looked at her and she says, well, you can park here, sir. And I said, you know what? I know it's not your fault. I know it's not your fault. I'm really upset. And I just, I, I'll pay the goddamn $2. And I paid the goddamn $2 because I didn't want to go out of my car. And she said, is there anything else I can do for you, you sir? And I said, well, you can, Ask, tell me to have a good day. <laughs> and she said, have a good day. And, and I just, I was screaming, and it felt so good to use the F word and just to scream. You know, it really felt good because there was nobody around, but I was conscious because if there is somebody around and they're bigger than me, I don't want, I don't want to get hit either. So I got all this sensitivity stuff going on. And then I and then I go and I watch my daughters and I called one of you guys and I said you know what Illy's not doing this and and I'm so emotional and she and then the lady talked about what was going on with her and then I um and then I said you know what I'm going to go in and every time Illy and the team does something good I'm going to cheer like crazy and every time they do something that I don't think is good I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I had the power to carry that out because I, I kind of took a fifth step with what, which was going on with what was going on with me something in the big book it talks about when any of this negativity you can leave I'm not going to take it personally <laughs> but go galaxy <laughs> okay. um, um, yeah whenever I get emotionally distraught, which is a lot when I'm not anesthetizing myself with food. Um, it talks about, we ask um, God immediately to remove whatever is going on. And then it says you talk immediately, you call somebody, you talk to somebody about it. Well, I can't always do that, but I found that even if I kind of excuse myself as soon as I can, and even if I get a machine and talk about what's going on, and then I make amends if I need to. That poor lady that was listening to my tirade, the best I could do was, I know it's not your fault, while I was screaming. And then you resolutely turn to somebody that you can help. Well, I don't know if I resolutely did that, but sometimes reaching out to some another compulsive overeater is helping somebody else. So those are four distinct things that, that we need to do. And the first thing is to turn to God. And that's the one that I forget because I think I'm running the show. And it, all through our literature, it says breathe. It says take a deep breath, relax. Thy will, not mine, be done. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm coming from God, I'm okay. If I'm coming from fear and my own craziness, I, I have a hard time. What else can I tell you? My daughter, my 20-year-old, decided to get herself a boyfriend who has uh, tattoos and, and earrings and a three-year-old uh, son and a ten-month-old son from the same uh, lady and that uh, they're not married and uh, and it's it's not the choice that I would have made. <laughs> and um, she's, she's, she's 20 years old. She's in her third year of college and stuff and she's going to Mount St. Mary's. A nice Jewish Catholic girl is going to Mount St. Mary's and she's doing pretty good. And I don't want her to get pregnant. I really don't. And we talked about, you know, birth control. And she actually went to the doctor without us in the room and got a prescription. 
and uh, her mother has the prescription. And I talked to one of you, and I said, well, are we going to get the prescription? And, and, and my sponsor said, why do you have to get it? If she wants it, let her get it. So now I just need my wife to give Issa the prescription so that she can go get it. It's just a constant surrendering. If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about, you know. And uh, that's what's going on. That's what makes me hungry these days. And it's, 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 it's step one, realizing that I'm, the things that I'm powerless over. And then it's really step two, to come to believe that there's some kind of power that wants good for me, wants good for my wife, for my kids, wants good for you. In retrospect, my life has been blessed. I mean, I, I got a son that's in the program five years, clean and sober. He just got married. He's having a kid in October. Um, you know, I've got a nice little career going on. My background is crazy. If I had more time, I would tell you about it. I, uh, it's riddled with this disease. And, uh, and there's two of us that uh, have chosen recovery. And so it's a good life in recovery and with the 12 steps. So I'm done, and I appreciate you listening to me. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to open it. <laughs> How do I work my food program with my wife? Um, I keep my eyes off of what she's eating, and which is hard sometimes. And, um, and I leave her alone. And, um, and she doesn't have a problem with what I'm eating. Um, and um, it's separate. Our foods, fruit foods are separate. And it's as simple as that. Uh, when I keep my eyes focused on my food plan and what I'm eating, um, I'm fine. Uh, we don't know what we're going to do. We'll probably get together family-wise. They might go to a restaurant tonight. So whatever they order is their business. And I'll probably order a salad or whatever I order. I'm going to text it in or call it into my sponsor before I eat it. And uh, say that prayer, God, thank you for the food I'm about to eat. Please make it enough. And then at the end, say, God, thank you for the food that I've just eaten. It's called making a sandwich with, with a prayer. So, yeah, it's kind of as simple as that, Lucy. What is my daily program yeah, like? Yeah, do you have like a routine? Mm-hmm. Um, I usually get a call at 5.20 in the morning, my first phone call. Uh, I, gotta get, I get up early. I allow extra time for prayer and meditation. Um, I talk to the people that I sponsor, my morning people, and um, and I've got and we read our little meditation books. I call my sponsor and I read him my little inventory that I took the night before, and it's kind of like a spiritual enema. <laughs> and then I <laughs> and then I read uh, and then I read a book with him to him, and then I, I ask him for a mantra because I'll take any help that I can get because after he's heard my stuff I try to remember that during the day uh, and then some days when I'm overwhelmed oh I get on my knees and, uh, and I say third step seventh step prayer um, you know I don't know whether I'm doing God's will or not but there's a little prayer that says if I have the desire to please you God then you're not going to let me screw it up too bad you're going to watch over me so for right now what I think God's will is is for me to um, have a desire to help others because I don't always have that bless you um, to um, be a loving 
communication with my wife especially and my kids, loving communication, um, to have um, um, patience and tolerance and um, um, compassion for other people. And, uh, and for some reason, the word psalm, P-S-A-L-M, in the, in the Bible, I think it's a song to God or something. And, you know, Paul would talk about um, um, acceptance all the time. But before I accept, I have to surrender. And surrender means a little bit of relaxation so that I can see the crazy stuff that I'm doing and let go of it and make room for some other action that I have to take. So P stands for... Um, um, I forgot what it is. Um, peace. Peace. S is surrenders, relaxation. A comes the acceptance. L is loving communication. And M is mindfulness. Because when I'm not living in the present, that means I'm living in fear. So if all those other things God gives me, I can be in the present and just kind of be mindful of where I am and uh, keep breathing and eating healthily. It, it, it's it's not transferable, and it and it and it goes and it's it's you got to keep doing it. You don't. I don't stay. I don't stay surrendered. Uh, Paul would talk about. Uh, there's a great prayer. God, I'm peaceful. I'm 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 wonderful. I'm ready to do Your will. But the only thing God is, uh, I got to get out of bed now. <laughs> and uh, and when life changes on life's terms, as it will do. There's another, yet another surrender, and another surrender, and another surrender. So it doesn't, and it's not that I, I was surrendered in the morning and I lost it. I just have to keep surrendering to life on life's terms. It's a constant thing. My other sponsor would say it's like you've got a TV set, an old TV set, and you're in the back of a Mack truck, and you've got all the, the tubes, and, you know, and all of a sudden you go over a bump, and God damn it, I'm going to take step three. No, I'm going to step ten. So, you know, you're going over bumps, and you adjust the, the knobs accordingly. I like that. I haven't thought about that for a while. How much time do I have? Thank you. <laughs>